text for this morning's sermon is Acts 2, verse 23. Peter says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're coming closer to Good Friday and Easter, the time of year when we commemorate the death and the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. When we examine the life of the Lord Jesus, we see that he lived a good life. Jesus was patient and kind with those around him. He showed forth mercy and goodness in his daily interactions with all those around him. Jesus performed great miracles, healing the sick, casting out evil spirits, even raising the dead to life again. He taught in a fresh way, drawing the crowd to him. For in his words, they heard God speaking to them. So how was it that this good life ended in Jesus' arrest, trial, and ultimately his crucifixion? Historically, Christians have often been accused of anti-Semitism because it is alleged that we try to fasten blame for Christ's death to the Jews and especially to the Jewish leaders. I'm not sure that such a critique is still valid today. Since the Holocaust and the establishment of a Jewish state, many Christians are quite sympathetic to the Jewish people. So who was responsible for Jesus' death? The Gospels make it plain that many people share in the responsibility for putting the Lord of glory to death. The Jewish leaders were envious of Jesus' acclaim among the people, and they sought ways to put him to death. Judas Iscariot was greedy. He betrayed Jesus into their hands for 30 pieces of silver. Pilate was moved by fear because the Jews threatened to report him if he let someone claiming to be a king go free. The crowd gave in to a mob mentality and mass hysteria when they called out, crucify him, crucify him. The soldiers were moved by callous duty to carry out the ordered crucifixion. Yet this is only one side of the story. It's only the human side of the story. Jesus insisted that his death was a voluntary act on his behalf. In John 10, he said he would lay down his life. He said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. God is described in Romans 8 as one who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. On the day of Pentecost, Peter explains that Jesus was handed over to the Jewish leaders for crucifixion according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. This morning, we're going to explore further the human and the divine aspects of Jesus' death. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. God used the actions of sinful people to accomplish our salvation. 
We'll consider the actions of sinful people in crucifying Jesus. And we'll consider the plan of God to work out our salvation. Acts 2 records the speech that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost. People from all over the world heard the followers of Jesus speaking in their own native languages. Christ poured out the Holy Spirit on his disciples. And one of the manifestations of the Spirit was that they told the mighty works of God to all those gathered together for the Passover feast. People were amazed and perplexed to hear them speaking in their own languages. They asked, what does this mean? In response, Peter spoke about how the Spirit had been poured forth in fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Most of Peter's address on that first Pentecost feast was not about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter's speech was focused on Christ. He said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Please note this speech was addressed to the men of Israel, that Peter accused them of crucifying and killing Jesus by the hands of lawless men. So who was responsible for crucifying and killing Jesus? Our reading from Mark 15 shows us that the blame can be shared among many people. Mark 15 describes how in the morning of the day after Jesus was arrested, a meeting was held. The chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. This council was the Sanhedrin. It was made up of, of Israel's religious leaders. Sanhedrin was under the leadership of the chief priests. The elders, scribes, and Pharisees were also represented on this council. The previous night, the council had tried to find reason for bringing a charge against Jesus. Even though many bore false witness against him, their testimony did not agree. For a person to be convicted of wrongdoing, the charges against him had to be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And so finally, out of frustration, the high priest took over, questioning Jesus, and asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? When Jesus said he was, he was charged with blasphemy and condemned to death. The Jews were under Roman rule. While the Sanhedrin was giving, given leeway to make judgments about religious matters, they did not have the right to put anyone to death. That power belonged to the state, to the Roman authorities. And thus, in our consultation the next morning, the Jewish council decided to hand Jesus over to Pilate. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, you have said so. Yet when the chief priest accused Jesus of many things, he remained silent. It amazed Pilate. Mark goes on to describe how it was customary for the Roman governor to release one prisoner each time the Passover feast was celebrated. Mark tells us that Pilate sought to use this as an opportunity to set Jesus free. 
He writes that Pilate perceived that it was out of envy that the Jewish leaders had delivered him up. Pilate gave the crowds the option. He would either release Jesus or Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a notorious criminal. He was a rebel, guilty of partaking in an an insurrection, guilty of robbing and murdering people. Pilate didn't think that the Jews would like to have that kind of criminal set free. But the chief priest stirred up the crowds to ask for Barabbas' release. They did so and started a chant against Jesus, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! John's Gospel expands on Mark's account, telling us what Pilate's response to this cry was. He told the Jewish leaders, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews responded, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. This statement made Pilate even more afraid. He went in to ask Jesus more questions, but Jesus remained silent. Pilate asked Jesus, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus' response to this was calm but factual. He said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. That is a profound statement. Jesus does not absolve Pilate of his responsibility. He was the Roman governor. He was called upon to make a judgment in this court case. Although he didn't realize that Pilate was the governing authority appointed by God to rule on his behalf. His responsibility was was to rule in a fair, in an impartial way. Pilate believed that Jesus was innocent. He had declared this finding to the Jews already twice. And so again, Pilate sought to release Jesus. But the Jewish leaders called out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Effectively speaking, the Jewish leaders were blackmailing Pilate. They were telling him that if he let Jesus go, they would let Caesar know that Pilate had allowed a challenger to his throne to live. Pilate buckled under the pressure. He scourged Jesus, allowing him to be severely beaten, and then delivered him up to be crucified. Pilate was guilty of condemning an innocent man. He himself judged Jesus to be innocent. While sitting on the judgment seat, his wife had sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. Allowing himself to be pressured by blackmail didn't change the fact that Pilate should have set Jesus free. As our text says, Pilate was one of the lawless men by whose hands Jesus was crucified and killed. But as Jesus himself said, those who delivered Jesus over to Pilate were guilty of a greater sin Our Lord suffered from the hatred, from the unbelief of his own people. While he came into this world to pay for the sins of his own, they did not receive him. 
They did not believe that he was the Messiah. They rejected the gospel message he brought. They tried to stone him. They tried to trap him in the words he spoke. They plotted and planned to put him to death. They did all these things because they did not see Jesus as the kind of Messiah they were looking for because Jesus did not meet their expectations. The final 24 hours of Christ's life here on earth were extremely difficult for him. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, one of his own disciples. The rest of the disciples deserted him. Peter denied him. He was brought before the leaders of God's people. They condemned him to death because he called God his father. They spat in his face. They punched him and slapped him. They brought him before Pilate to have him officially condemned to death. They did all that because they were envious of Jesus, of the acclaim the people gave him. Matthew tells us a final detail about Christ's trial before Pontius Pilate. When Pilate saw that he had lost control of the situation, that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hand before the crowd. He said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. People made this statement in the heat of the moment. They didn't really realize or understand what they were saying. And yet they took responsibility for having an innocent man condemned to death. They called on God to hold them accountable for shedding the blood of his beloved son who had come to redeem them from their sins. And thus it's most appropriate that on the day of Pentecost, Peter holds the people of Israel accountable for Christ's death. He says to the people, This Jesus you crucified and killed. You are responsible for the death of the promised Messiah. As Jesus said to Pilate, Those who delivered me up over to you have the greater sin. How it must have hurt Jesus to be despised and rejected by his own people. He had come to suffer and die for them, to redeem them, to restore them in their relationship with God. And yet his own people were the very ones who cried out for his crucifixion, who wanted him dead. Beloved, it's easy for us to apportion blame to the Jewish people and to their Roman rulers. We could say it's all their fault. But that's actually not really true. Yes, they lived in that time. And they were instrumental in having Jesus unjustly condemned and put to death. But we need to remember why Jesus came into this world. In John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That includes you and me. In 1 Peter 3, verse 18, Peter summarizes the reason why Christ came into this world. He writes, For Christ, suf for Christ also suffered once for sins, 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus suffered and died for unrighteous people like you and me, to save us from our sins, to restore us to fellowship with God. Let's go back to Peter's Pentecost address. Why was it that he accused the Jewish people of crucifying and killing the Lord Jesus? It was to make them aware of their sin. It was to call them to repentance. Acts 2 verse 37 tells us, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter told them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same call goes out to us today, beloved. Jesus did not just suffer and die because of the sins of Pilate and the Jewish people of his day. He suffered and died in order to bear God's wrath against the sins of the whole world. He had to suffer and die just for you and just for me. So instead of making judgments on others for their responsibility in Christ's death, we need to come before the Lord with humble hearts ourselves. Christ had to suffer. He had to die for my sins. He was willing to undergo the shame and the agony of the cross for me. That not only humbles us, it also makes us incredibly thankful for Christ's redeeming grace. Thus far, we've looked at our human responsibility for Christ's death. And our text makes it plain that this occurred under God's divine authority. We deal with that in our second point. The plan of God to work out our salvation. Our text specifies that although man was responsible for Christ's crucifixion, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It's an amazing thought, isn't it, beloved? But the fact that God planned the way of salvation is something clearly testified throughout the Bible. After the fall into sin, the Lord told Adam and Eve that he would put enmity between Satan's offspring and her offspring, but that her offspring would be victorious. He promised Abraham that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. The law and the prophets all testified to the coming of the Christ. During his public ministry, Jesus made it clear to his disciples that he came into this world to suffer and die. In Luke's gospel, we see how Jesus foretold his death on three separate occasions. After they confessed him to be the Christ, Jesus told them, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Later, Luke tells us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew the purpose for which he came into this world. He was resolute in doing the will of his Father in heaven. We read this afternoon from John 10, 
It's a famous passage in which Jesus reveals himself as the good shepherd of his sheep. In John 10, verse 11, Jesus told them, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And later in this passage, Jesus explains. He says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The fact that Jesus laid down his life is clear from what happened to Jesus on the cross. After he suffered God's wrath against all our sins and fulfilled the various prophecies of the scriptures about him, Jesus laid down his life. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The criminals hanging on either side of Jesus did not have the same power to lay down their lives. They had to wait for life to drain from them before they died. Their legs had to be broken to speed up the process. But Jesus did not die like other people do. He died when he wanted to and how he wanted to. He had the power to lay down his life by committing his spirit into the hands of his Father in heaven. Jesus suffered and died in accordance with the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Our text testifies to that truth. It's repeated again in Acts 4, when the Jewish council tried to intimidate the apostles to prevent them from preaching in Jesus' name. They prayed to the Lord for boldness, referencing Psalm 2 about how the kings of the earth and the rulers set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. They said, for truly in this city, They were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The wonder of God's grace is that he ordained the way of our salvation No one would ever have imagined that it would have involved God's only Son coming in human flesh to suffer and die for our sins. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul refers to this as the secret and hidden wisdom of God. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul shows that this was to fulfill what was written by Isaiah. But no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God had prepared for those who love him. God planned for Christ to suffer, even to die in a cursed death on the cross, for our salvation. Beloved, this morning we have opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We may remember how Christ offered his body and blood on the cross for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. We know that many people were responsible for Jesus' death. They included his own people and their leaders, 
as well as Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers, even we are responsible. For Jesus came into this world to pay for our sins as well. But all of this happened according to the definite foreknowledge and plan of God. It happened because this was the wondrous way God ordained to work out our salvation. Thank God for his amazing grace. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from Psalm 92, the stanzas 1, 3, 5, and 6. Mm -hmm. 